0: <laughs> <laughs> so, inshaallah, this is gonna be our uh, final uh, Quran majlis in Ramadan, inshallah Because next week maybe it will be Eid, maybe it will be shopping day for Eid, right? So we will not be coming next week, inshallah But we will resume after Eid. So for those of you who are not connected with us on WhatsApp or something, then see see me or Kazi you anybody to give your numbers so that you can stay in touch with our uh, group to be updated with when the next one is going to be because we want to keep this an ongoing thing inshallah So today uh, I've chosen, uh, again, the next in sequence of which is Surat Abbasah um, and subhanAllah, you know I studied this surah about two years ago and like studying it this week, again, it's a completely different uh, approach and so many new beautiful meanings that I'd like to share with you there's a lot, by the way so I might I'm warning you I might take Like more than an hour I'll try not to But It's okay inshallah Because we have uh, so you Many people would... Yeah so what time does it start? It yeah so we have Alhamdulillah two hours I'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> But uh, inshallah I'll try to finish Inshallah as soon as possible But it's just There's just so many beautiful lessons I want to give as much as I can Inshallah So um, Again we start off with the, the plain View of the surah And how like Everything is jumbled up, right? But then towards the end, I'll show you how it all beautifully uh, connects with one another. It's such a, a beautiful, you know, symmetry of the ayat that you will, inshallah, see later on. But we start off with, Abasa wa tawalla. So what is this talking about? Abasa in the Arabic, Arabic language literally means to frown. Just a little bit, so that's Abasa, you know? When your lines show in the forehead, that's what Abbasah means. So what's the story? There's a background to this story. The Prophet in Sallallahu Alaihi in the Meccan period, he had primarily two audiences, the, the, the minority Muslims and the evil elite Quraysh, okay? The elite Quraysh people. And so uh, it's very normal for the Prophet to try to balance between the two, right? He would give some time to the Sahaba, to the companions, uh, and then he would give also times to the elite. What's the advantage of giving time to the elite? Because if one elite person from Quraysh accepts Islam, what's gonna like? Aren't the numbers gonna be more, right? That's why it's very common for us as Muslims to be very excited when a celebrity becomes a Muslim, right? Like when the rumors came out Michael Jackson is a Muslim, wow, everybody went crazy and like so so many rumors. Why? Because we we feel that by him becoming a Muslim or anybody else, right? It's it will get a lot of more followers into Islam also. So it's like some people who are of elite status, they bring in their entire tribe with them. So the Prophet would do this sometimes, he would target uh, you know, tribal leaders sometimes, and you know, if the tribal leader would accept Islam, the whole tribe would enter into Islam. So that was a strategic uh, benefit of that also. So what was happening was he was sitting with this elite group of Quraysh people, okay, giving dawah, right, presenting to them the beautiful message of Islam, and they seemed interested. And then all of a sudden, this blind man comes, his name is, in you know, the Fasroun they called him, the man's name is Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum. Okay, Salam. we don't know the name because uh, Allah subhanahu calls him as the blind one, Al-A'ma, the blind one. one. Okay. So that's all we need to know. Um, and so this blind man comes, and the Prophet is busy with this elite group of people, and you know how like, the elites group of people, they they like things to be done in their own way, in their own, uh, you know, sitting, in their own gatherings. They don't like the the riffraff of society, or, you know, the lower standard people to join those gatherings. They get annoyed by that. And this is something that even, you know, the disbelievers said to Nuh That's, why should we accept your message? All you have as followers is the low class of society, and we don't feel comfortable. The elite people, sometimes they don't feel comfortable, sitting in the same place with those who are of lower standard, right? There's this discrimination, this racism there. So Prophet got irritated a bit because, or you know, he got confused. We won't say irritated, got confused. Gotta be very careful how we speak about Prophet You know, because on the one hand, he has this great opportunity to speak to these leaders and they seem interested. And this man's coming in, he's blind, number one. Number two, he's just interrupting, which, is again, rude, right? You're not supposed to interrupt the gathering. But at the same time, Prophet Sallallahu can't be rude with the blind man because he's a Muslim already. And he is also from the category of those who are in special needs, like people who are handicapped, people of special needs. And so he has to be extra careful to the, those feelings because as you know, people of special needs, they're extra sensitive also. So he has to balance between these two. And so the Prophet Sallallahu all he reacts as is just a small mini frown and there's different words for facial gestures of annoyment in the Qur'an. So there's kalah, there's abas, and then there's basar. Guess what? Abas is the, the least you know, level of annoyment of the three. Right? Where it's just this confusion and there's this one line here basically. That's what Abas says. So Allah says, abasa wa tawallahi, turned away. Turned away from Who? from the blind man. Literally, that's what he did. And subhanAllah, you know, um, what the Mufassirun also says that these ayat came down at that instant. So as this event happened, as the Prophet turned away, the ayat came down to him, revelation came down, and he and part of the Prophet's uh, duty would be when the ayat come down, he would recite them. So, you know, the Prophet is is such a, an odd situation because now you know, he has to recite these words that are actually, you know, criticizing him by Allah subhanahu wa taala, right? Because Allah and Allah, out of his like sweetness and love and care and mercy, doesn't talk to the Prophet ﷺ directly. He says, Abbasa he frowned. But tawalla, he turned away. So you know how, like sometimes, um, if you want to really shout at someone and, and scold them and make them feel bad, you talk to them directly. Right? That in, in Arabic would be عبَسْتَ وَتَوَلَّيْتَ You frown and you turned away right? Which is very heavy and it's, it's like scolding It's like shouting at someone So Prophet said in a very soft way Is talking about him in the uh, you know, Third person Like he frowned and he To, to lighten up the, the load of criticism here So that's the, uh, the situation here And by the way, did he hurt the feelings of the blind man? No, because could, could the blind man see the Abbas? No, could he see the turning away? So technically, the Prophet pretty much did what was the most appropriate thing to do, right? Uh, and was the blind man wrong in the, in the first instance? He's wrong to interrupt, right? And by the way, he's even wrong for another reason, because it's very known that people with special needs, let's say if someone cannot see, then Allah Taala gives them, Stronger abilities in their other senses so people who are not able to see their their sense of hearing are usually stronger, right? So Abdullah bin Umm Maktum for sure heard the discussion between the Prophet and the Quraysh, but yet he decided to interfere So there's like two levels of mistakes done by this blind man, but whose side is Allah subhanahu ta'ala the blind man's side which is really really interesting and which we're going to try to understand why this happened why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala take the side of this man uh, one one main reason is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that you know this blind man has come is coming to you so the idea that you know the blind man represents the seeker of, of knowledge Someone who's coming to you to seek knowledge, someone who's coming to you to be purified, someone who's coming to you to benefit. Whereas, what's the Prophet doing with Quraysh? Are Quraysh coming to him to learn and study deen? What does he have to do? He has to reach out to them, right? And you know, this is something that I do also on a, like, you know, in terms of my uh, passion for teaching this kind of stuff is uh, on one hand, we have the Quran Majlis where you guys are coming to learn, right? All I'm doing is sending a message, reminder, whatever, and then you guys are doing the sa'i. You are making the effort to come here. But in other gatherings, I actually have to go to certain private gatherings to give these kind of talks. Because, you know, for them, maybe those are the elite of the society who would never come in this masjid. They would never come into the masjid. And so do we criticize them and ignore them? No, we also balance, right? Sometimes we reach out to them, we do something for those who are seekers of knowledge. So you have these two groups. And in this surah, what Allah does, and especially in this section, Allah is praising the seekers of knowledge. So between the lines, all of you should, inshallah feel also, you know, this is for you. Allah is praising the seekers of knowledge more than the uh, the elites who feel that they don't need to come here. And the word for that is istighna. It will come, inshallah, later on. So he turned away and he frowned when the blind man came to him. Okay. And again, Allah is not saying that you, you turn towards Quraysh. he's saying you turn away from the blind man. So who's the hero here? The blind man, right? The blind man said, and you've turned away from him. Allah says. Do you have any clue if he would be someone who would want to be purified? How would you know, how in the world would you know that he, that he wants to be purified or not? ma yudrik, Allah says, you have no idea Perhaps this man wants to get, get purified So again, this concept of teskiya comes up again which means to purify and, and grow in goodness which is, I don't know if you've noticed this It's a recurring theme in every single surah right, pretty much the idea that, you know, the goal of the message of Islam and the goal of the message of the Quran is to purify us Purify us in terms of our thoughts, in terms of our mindset To purify us in terms of our hearts and our emotions and our you know, feelings towards one another To purify our hearts from anger and hatred and greed To love and care and mercy and forgiveness To purify our minds from ego and arrogance to humility and gratitude To purify our relationships To purify our habits and actions Purify everything about our life. That is what the Qur'an came to do. That is the ultimate objective. And that is a seeker's... Uh, that's, that should be the niyah of the seekers of knowledge. Every single one of you, your niyah to come here, inshallah should be, and I'm, inshallah hopeful it is already, is to get purified. That's it. Right? But then there's another intention. A secondary intention. أو fa فتنفع الذكر. Or to be reminded... Maybe he doesn't want, he's not ready to be purified yet, he's not ready to make changes in life, but he just wants to be reminded and maybe that reminder will benefit him. So this concept concept of reminder is also very important to note here, is that sometimes, number one, we're human beings, we all need reminders. I need reminders, you need reminders. In fact, my intention to do this regularly every week is actually number one for my own primary benefit, right? because it's kind of like forcing me to study Qur'an on a weekly basis and it's uh, kind of like benefiting me primarily when I study this, I have to absorb all of this stuff hours and hours of study, but then trying to teach this this in itself, who's benefiting number one? myself, right? it's a reminder for me because I've studied this surah also before all of you maybe have read this surah and the translation of the surah, right? But you came here to be reminded, and that's the attitude of a seeker. It's unlike any other book, the Qur'an, and Allah calls it dhikr. This book is actually a a reminder. And Allah repeats certain things in the Qur'an for our remembrance. And I'll just, just give you a side note here, is that the terms or the concepts that are often repeated in the Qur'an are the most forgotten concepts, the ones that we tend to neglect the most so things about akhirah right day of judgment and accountability repeated pretty much on every page of the quran right why is it repeated over and over and over again because this is the one that we tend to forget the most okay so the seeker he benefits you know number one he primarily comes to seek knowledge to get purified in this case this is what the blind man wants to do allah is saying or maybe he just wants to get reminded what's the difference between the two Reminders is just you coming and you maybe giving it a thought. You're not ready to get purified yet, but you're just coming to remember, think about it. Maybe it will cause some sort of change in your life, maybe you know, next week, maybe next month, next year, ten years down the road. Right? So, in any case, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet in he tells them in different places in the Quran that remind because reminder benefits the people. Does it benefit instantly? Like just another you know, thing to note is that is everybody here going to be impacted with today's lesson the same way? <laughs> no, right? Would all of you transform overnight like after this today's talk? No. Do I have the capability to do anything? Is it in my hands? No. So basically, my job here is to remind myself and all of you here through the Quran, right? Fadakir bil Quran, Allah says in the in Surah Qaf, Fadakir bil Quran. So beautiful. Remind with the Qur'an. Because the Qur'an is the ultimate reminder. And you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who guides the hearts. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who gives you the tawfiq to get purified, to change, to make changes in your life. It's like this concept of kun fayakun. Right? One word, one sentence, one concept maybe in this dars, Allah says kun to it and it enters one of your hearts and it makes a change. Or maybe none of you get impacted today. Maybe someone watching this on YouTube 10 years down the road might benefit. Allahu A'ala. It's not up to me. It's not my... You know, even if one person comes and sits in the... We've had this, by the way. Quran met this a few weeks ago. I don't know who was here, but there was like three people here. Right? But we continued. Why? Because it's dhikr, dhikr, dhikr. It's just about constant reminders for me, for those sitting here. It's not about the numbers. It's not about how many people benefited or not. It's about just constantly doing it because it will... Maybe purify you now. Maybe to remind you, make you think about something, and change you in the near future. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala here now goes on to say, Amma man istaghna." First of all, the discussion was about the blind man, right? He wants to get purified, to be reminded. Now he changes to amma man istaghna." Ask for the one who istaghna from Ghani, and Allah's name, in fact, one of Allah's beautiful names is Al Ghani. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran oh you people, you are in need of Allah subhanahu wa is ta'ala Allah is self-sufficient, he doesn't need any one of us We all need him, he doesn't need us And so this, now Allah is highlighting the attitude of the elite people They have this idea of, you know, we call them aghniya Thinking that it's just about wealth No, ghina is an attitude, way. Rena is a mindset, it's a lifestyle, it's a way of thinking about life, right? It's uh, this attitude. Rena is not just money in the bank account. Rena is feeling self-sufficient, feeling that you don't need anybody else. And yes, money does make you f- think like that, right? Because when you have a lot of money in the bank account, you feel that you don't need to ask anybody for money. You feel that you don't need, you can buy anything. You feel that you can, you know... Uh, Get yourself out of problems with money. So this is the attitude of those who uh, are basically feeling that self-sufficientness. And these are people who are not occupied with anything, right? They don't need the reminder. They feel that they don't need the reminder. They, don't, they feel that they don't, they don't need to be purified. That's another way of looking at it. So on the one hand, you have this contrast, right? This blind man who's seeking to get purified... Seeking to improve his life Seeking to, to develop himself further Or even be reminded And on the other hand You have the, the elite Who have this, this relaxed attitude And the life, your life is good We have money We have cars We have homes We don't need to you know, Come to this Quran mention this. We don't need to be reminded by Quran We know our stuff We pray five times a day We, you know, we give our charity Our zakat We do hajj so we don't we don't really need this we don't need to be that extreme about Islam so this idea of istighna and uh, we don't need to be reminded we already know this Surah Ah, uh, Surat al-Fatiha I already know it I need to come to the dars about Surat al-Fatiha Salah a dars about Salah and how to prove the khushu Salah we already know Salah I learned it in fourth grade I don't need to come right so this this Lack of motivation to seek knowledge, lack of motivation to purify yourself, and lack of motivation to be even reminded You take things very casually and relaxed So here, yes, in the context of tafsir, it's talking about the evil, elite of Quraysh But, again, did Allah mention Quraysh here? No, so who is this, who is this talking to? So all of us, all of us listening, because sometimes we have this attitude of istirna also I don't need to go to that class, I don't need, I already know this surah, I already know this you know, and uh, you know, people have other priorities in life. People priorities is you know just to, to watch TV and watch India versus Pakistan and uh, see Pakistan win for a change. You know? <laughs> and for some it's gaming, for some it's movies, for some it's socializing, for some it's just you know doing nothing, watching YouTube and Facebook and surfing the web, or watching Shamelessness or different priorities people have for some it's money and making you know money and going to your work and your business For others it's maybe you know shopping or whatever so people have different priorities and when they feel that they don't need to be purified or reminded that's in this context so what's interesting also is that Allah says to the Prophet tasadda. Very interesting language. You out of all people are going back and forth to them. له, this this person who feels استغنى, Allah is criticizing him and saying you out of all people, O oh Rasulullah, are going to him over and over again. Tasadda comes from sada, which literally means like an echo, back and forth, right? You know how like an echo, 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 echo? Right. This repeated sound, so it's it's highlighting how the Prophet is constantly just going back and forth, trying with the elite people to convince them. Just like the attitude of a desperate salesman who has this product and you're going back and forth. Hey, please buy this. It has a really good screen. The colors are really good. The, the camera is nice. You're just constantly trying desperately to sell this. And the pro- Allah Subhata says, Wa It's not in your hands. This man would, does not want to be purified. He will not be purified, Allah says. Allah Yazakka. It's not your responsibility to purify them. This man does not want to be purified. And then Allah goes back to the blind man again now. Yasa. He just spoke about the blind man. He's going back to him to praise him further. Wa'am Ask for the one who came to you putting effort and rushing towards you. Sa'i here, putting effort. And remember, this was a theme last week, also, right? Sai. Right? And uh, ثُمَّ أَدْبَرَ يَسْحَىٰ فِرْعَونَ Ran away to plot against Musa alayhi salam. Here, this man is coming towards the Prophet. Just look at his effort to come to learn. He's putting in the effort to learn. And that is the attitude of someone who wants to purify themselves. Purif- purification doesn't happen automatically, right? You've got to put in some effort. And one of my favorite ayat in the Qur'an is this ayah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, listen carefully, لَنْ تَنَالُ الْبِرْ you will not attain goodness until you spend on that which you love. So to, to benefit to become good, you want to get goodness, got to spend. And spend here often the shallow translation is money. but spending here means spend your effort, spend your time. right Invest in yourself to get purified. Goodness doesn't come. To people naturally, right? You gotta put, you gotta show that attitude of wanting it. That's when it comes to you. مَنْ جَاءَكَ يَسْعَى وَهُوَ Interesting. Last week also, right? Khashya was a repeated theme. This concept, feeling of uh, being careful and cautious. يخشى from خشية from fear, fear of losing your iman. fear of uh, fear of losing your, you know, uh, consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa taala. Fear of losing your pure, your purity and becoming corrupted. Okay, fear of losing your beautiful state of naim. That's his attitude. You are turning away from him. lahu literally means to get distracted from this man. So Allah is flipping the equation. The Prophet said, thought, Prophet thought that the elite is the priority now, Allah is saying, no no no, the elite is not priority, this man is your priority, he is the blind man, look at the irony here, this is a blind man coming to seek purification and remembrance from you, but you are being blind to this reality, the Prophet has been told that you're being blind to the priority, you're being blind to the fact that this man actually is the one who's going to benefit from your remembrance, and the elite, you're blinded. You think these elite these elites have hope in, in being guided and being, you know, people of purification. It's a, it's a gone case. It's not going to happen. And here we're learning another profound lesson linked to last week. Last week we, we learned how Musa salam was told to go to Pharaoh and to invite him to purification. Right where we. Um, as human beings tend to judge people like Fir'aun that they will never be guided but Allah knows the state of the hearts, right? So Allah, in that surah highlighted how even Fir'aun has hope to be purified. But here Allah is also giving us the other extreme. There's certain people who we think have potential to become pure people. Allah is saying, I know the state of the hearts. In both cases, in the state of you know the heart of Fir'aun, I know that there's a possibility it can be purified in the state of these elite of Quraysh, I know that there is no chance they get purified. But who knows this only? Only Allah, right? Only Allah knows the state of the heart, and therefore we are in no position to judge anybody. Therefore, what's what's the proper thing to do? But which is what the Prophet is doing? He's balancing between both. He's you know targeting the elite, and he's also speaking to the those who are seeking knowledge. Sorry, guys. Okay, so far. So. You see, like how now the question is: Why is the Prophet being, you know, treated in, in this way? Valid question to ask, right? Why is, the, why is Allah not going easy on the Prophet? Because the standards of the Prophet are so high, and this issue of discrimination between different class societies is a, is a big, big, big deal in Islam, which Islam came to eliminate. And so if People around, like just imagine the sitting, right? The, this, the seating arrangement, people are sitting there listening and evil elites are there. If the Prophet ﷺ in fact did do Abbas and turned away, and the conversation continued, in the back of the mind of Quraysh, what would they think about the Prophet ﷺ? Would they have a, a good impression about him? That you know he just ignored someone with special needs? It would have an impact, right? People would start thinking that the Prophet ﷺ is biased. And this is something that we do sometimes as Muslims, right? Like if uh, a VIP, uh, a came to our deaths, right? Or if we know, for example, let's say, I don't know, the Pakistani ambassador or something decides to come, or he calls us three days before this death, I'm coming to, I heard about Paramahans, I'm coming this Sunday. So how's the preparation gonna be different? There's probably gonna be some moses and pakores and the there, right? And the air conditioning is going to be put on six hours in advance. There's going to be chai, pani, everything is going to be sorted out. Why? Because elite is coming. We need to take care of them extra. And of course, the, you know, the front seat will be reserved. And they will be escorted in and out. Right? This is human nature. But what did Islam come to do? To eliminate all of this. Right? When you stand in Salah, it doesn't matter if you are a king, or a CEO, or a chairman, or a toilet cleaner. We all stand together in prayer. There's no difference between Bilal and Abu Sufyan. No difference whatsoever, right? And this is why Allah Subh'ata is making such a big deal out of this, which unfortunately has creeped back into the Muslim world, right? We tend to constantly differentiate between different, like without naming the masjid, in one of the masjids in Bahrain, okay? Uh, I was asked to, I was sitting in the front row waiting for a salah, on a Friday I was asked to move back to the second room because the front row was reserved mm-hmm. So this happens sometimes right and it's sad but we need to be aware of this uh, You know how much how much of a big deal it is in front of Allah in the Quran and what has happened to us, right? so Next Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes on different times it all together he says, kalla And now the discussion is about what? No, Allah says no. It is most definitely a reminder. What's he talking about? The Quran. The revelation. It is most definitely a reminder. Did reminder come up earlier? Yes? He wants to seek remembrance, right? Perhaps remi- remembrance will benefit him. Again, dhikr. Dhikr. So this concept of remind reminders is going to be repeated theme here. Whoever wants, will remember it. Okay, so it's an open invitation from Allah to anybody who wants to be reminded. Muslim, non-Muslim, and Allah's highlighting the importance of feeling that we need this reminder. And why did Allah say no? It's as if Allah's telling the Prophet, no, stop being like a desperate salesman. They need this Qur'an. These elite people who have this istighna, they are the ones who need this Qur'an. You don't need them to come into Islam. They're the ones who need, to be, who need purification. They're the ones who need to be benefited in a minor because they are going to be the ultimate beneficiaries of this. You see? So Allah's flipping the whole mindset here. He's, he's telling us that, listen, this dhikr will benefit you. So the salesman doesn't need to be desperate about it. This product is perfect in and of itself. Fi Mukarrama. It came from suhuf Mukarrama. And here, suhf is referring to the, you know, one view is the lawh al mahfuz, this honorable, high status, these suhf, these uh, pages, sahif as a page, right? And so it refers to, one view is that suhf are all the, di- the divine revelations. Suhf Ibrahim and Musa, Allah says. All the books that were sent to different prophets and messengers throughout different times, the Quran is part of that same family of suhf. Except that the Quran is the last and final revelation, the most complete form of it. The Injil, the Torah, the Zabur, all these previous scriptures, they were part of the suhat Mukarrama. That got, unfortunately, corrupted with time, right? But the Quran is the last and final message which has been preserved to the end of time. And Allah is saying, Mukarrama. They are honored. They have this very nob- noble status. These pages. Marfu'atin Marfu'a from Rafa, which means high, elevated, Mubahara, pure. So some beautiful uh, nuances of this concept of Marfu'a. It is above us. A beautiful lesson of the Quran. Quran is above all of us. It's above all of your points of views. And that should be our attitude towards the Quran. Whenever we read the Quran, we should let the Quran tell us or speak to us. If you, and, and you know how Allah subhanahu says in the Quran that This Quran, Allah misguides with it many people and He guides with it many people But who does it misguide? Those who are fasiqeen, those who are inherently corrupt So if you are a fasiq, you have this corrupt idea That you know what, we need to kill all the kuffar And we need to blow innocent people up in the marketplace if you have this corrupt idea and you go to the Quran, right? What are you gonna be reading? Which ayats are you gonna be you know paying attention to? Kill them wherever you find them, you know, you know, kill them, they're all the kufar and najas. you're gonna see these ayat. These messages are gonna be helping you fulfil your agenda because you made your corrupt agenda higher than the Quran. So it's going to misguide you. This Quran misguides people who are inherently corrupt. And if you if you come to this with the attitude of ya Allah, I want to be purified, I want to be reminded. You tell me, Allah, speak to me. And you are completely unbiased. You don't have any presumptions. That's when you get guided with this book. That's it's a very very important concept. Marfu' Allah is saying, ya'lu wa la It is above us. We should never feel that we are above this Quran. And then, mubahara. they They're pure, these pages. This Qur'an is pure in and of itself. It's pure of any contradictions. It's pure of any flaws. It's pure of any shamelessness and filth. Nothing that Allah wants us to do is impure, right? Everything Allah wants us to do is, is, is for the objective of purifying us. And another meaning of this is that it purifies also. Because it's pure in and of itself, it's also purified. And then Allah says, he's talking about the angels now. B-A-D-Safara. These pages, this Quran is being guarded by the hands of the angels. And Allah calls them Safara. Safar سفر has different meanings. Traveling, those who travel basically, right, are Musafir. Uh, Safar also means like from Safir or ambassadors. So they're the ambassadors of the Quran. And another word, another meaning of this is those who write down the Quran. So one view is that the Quran is in the Lawr al mahfouz And how did Jibreel get it? Be passed down to the Prophet through the angels who write it down for Jibreel to take it down to the Prophet. So it's just this, this very precise uh, guarding of this book. It's very high, uh, elevated. If someone burns the Quran somewhere in, in the United States or something, that's not going to bring down the level of the Quran. Muslims shouldn't get upset about these things. That's the wrong attitude, right? Because Allah's telling us it's already marfu' and why are you reacting in such a negative way and burning flags and you know, showing your frustration? But Allah is saying it's already pure and elevated. The AIDI Safara Kiram in Barara. It is, you know, these angels are honored. They are filled with goodness. Barara from birr Again, goodness. And another meaning of this is, it is for those who, Allah is honoring those who have the right attitude towards the Quran. The people who love the Quran and who Ponder upon the Qur'an and they seek to be purified from the Qur'an and they seek remembrance from the Qur'an Allah is calling them honorable. He's honoring you and he's saying these are the people who are of goodness. These are the true people of goodness because they are the ones who are valuing this such you know, high status of the Qur'an. And so another point here to mention is you know, this idea of لا يمسه إلا المطهرون there's a big debate among scholars about like how the fact that non-Muslims should not touch the Quran, and you know people or females who are going through their you know monthly cycles, they're not allowed to touch the Quran in certain states. Or you know I think Quran is above that also. And What Allah is talking about in terms of is this idea of inner purity. It's not talking about external purity. The Prophet In many cases would send letters to leaders of other nations and kings of other nations with Quran being quoted and these were non-muslims right he had no issue with the Quran being physically touched by non-muslims it's not like Quran is above just pages right Quran is above and remember there's there was no pages back then it was all revelation directly to the heart it was oral tradition then it moved to manuscript or writing down. Then, it came, we're in the third, then came the third stage, which is printing. The first Quran was printed back in 1920 by you know, uh, the King Farouk of Egypt. And then recently we're in the digital age now. And you know, God knows maybe in the future we're going to have virtual reality Quran or something. I don't know what's going to happen next, right? But, uh, and then another phase of that was audio Quran. After print, right? The entire Quran and audio, you can listen to in the radio. That's also Quran, right? But sometimes we think this is the only Quran. The Quran in the radio is Quran, but it's not really See this Quran, <laughs> right? But think about it from the perspective of the Prophet and the Sahaba. For them, Quran was in their hearts. It was this purification of the hearts and purification of the mind. So you know by saying oh you can't touch this if you are najis or if you are not tahira or if you are non muslim that's shallow thinking the quran is above all of this and it's, it's there to purify all of us at all times you can't say no a couple of days a month you should not get purification and reminders Right? A quran is above all of this and that, those are my views you can feel free to disagree um, so this this section is setting what our attitude should be with the quran How high of a value and a status this should be in our lives? What the priority of the Qur'an should be in our lives? And if you look at how the reality is, do most people value the Qur'an this way? Sadly not, right? I mean, yes, we do value the Qur'an when it's uh, shadi time and the bride is now walking from the stage out to the door and the Qur'an comes on top of her head. You know, in some traditions, right? Some weird Pakistani traditions, they do this. The Qur'an is placed on the top of the head of the bride and, uh, to protect her from, like, I don't know, lightning striking or something, I don't know. Or, or sometimes, like, we have these mini Qur'an that you can barely read and you put it in the dashboard because, you know, you, your break is not really that great. That's like your insurance to protect you. Or we read it when people die and we have the khatmas but the Quran came to you know, give us life and it came for living people not for dead people right? so we you know, although on the other hand I do appreciate in some traditions they have this honor of the Quran and you package it up in a nice like uh, covering and you scent it with nice perfume that's, that's nice, I actually uh, think that's part of like Yani, all of us should have this attachment To either a physical Mus'haf or an app Or something Something that you're attached to You should have like your personal ritual with the Qur'an That you read it in a specific time That's, that's healthy I think. But if we don't have that respect We don't have that relationship with the Qur'an Then that's what Allah is saying here Allah wants us to have that high regard For this, this book itself And then Allah goes on and says قُتِلَ الْإِنسَانُ مَا أَكْفَرَهُ." really strong words. May this insan be killed, Allah says. How ungrateful is he? Now, what is Allah highlighting here? Being ungrateful of what? Now, one context could be ungrateful of the Quran. Because just previously Allah was talking about what? How amazing the Quran is. How high of a status and nobility and, and purity it is. How ungrateful is this insan? And Allah didn't say, al-Kufar. That may the kuffar be destroyed or may the Quraysh be destroyed. Who, who is he saying should be killed? Insan. And insan comes from nasiyan, from forgetfulness also. Messiah, right? So Allah is highlighting here the one who has forgotten the value of this book. The one who has made this book of a low priority. A book that you just read in Ramadan for khatma purposes. Or a book that you just read from Friday to Friday. And a book that you just read... You know, for the sake of uh, getting ajr for the letters. But it's not just for, you're not reading it for guidance. You're not reading it to get purification. You're not reading it to get reminders. It's pretty serious words here, right? How ungrateful is this insan? May he be killed. insan How ungrateful is he? And kufr here is the opposite of shukr, by the way. In the Arabic language, in the Quran, kufr and shukr. Shukr is to be grateful. kufr is to be ungrateful. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. The word is put in action, which means a person who is doing that action is not specified. So when you translate it as he is killed, the insan is killed who is with means not physically killed, but means who is killed or is killed. Yes, proper. beautiful. Yeah, another way of looking at it. Absolutely, like he's destroyed basically. The insan who is not. Seeking purification and reminders of Qur'an, he, he's dead. He's a gone case, right? He's, his Ruh is dead. Because remember last week we said, right, that you know, we, part of our need, and we'll talk about this later, but part of our need is food and drink and relations with the opposite gender, these are bodily requirements. And then we need spiritual requirements, like our, our Ruh needs spiritual food. So if you're not giving it spiritual food through Qur'an, and Qur'an of course is the ultimate ultimate reminder, Right, and Salah is the ultimate reminder because you're reading Quran in Salah, right? If you're not doing that, then ya yeah, you're destroyed. Yeah, for that point also. So you see the beauty of the Quran is that like there's different ways of reading things and different beautiful messages that come out of it. And you know, you know, just adding on to this from the previous Marfuatin like mutahara, when Allah says Quran is so high of a status, you know what has happened to us. And again, this might sound controversial, but it's okay. I need mean, I mean, Ramadan's coming to an end, so inshallah you can be honest about these things. But even in Islamic education, you know one of the things that one of my observations is this idea of not giving Quran a high regard. You know, when you think about Islamic Islamic education, what comes to mind? Okay, memorize a few surahs, study hadith, study fiqh. Study Aqidah, study seerah, study history, study Usul, right? This is what comes to your mind. But what happens is the Quran becomes just another subject. I have a major, major, major problem with this and first hand experience being a student of Sharia for four years. You know, I you know see how the priority of the Quran has become just like any other. Like, it's not what the Quran makes a priority. I believe the proper way of studying Islam and, and like, if you want to become a student of knowledge of Islam, is Quran, hand in hand with Sirah, should be the foundation, and then from that, all the other sciences would should be understood. You should understand Hadith from the context of Quran. You should understand Fiqh from the context of Quran and Sirah. You should understand history from the context of Quran and Sirah. So Quran and Sirah should be your land. And by the way, Sirah. When I say Quran Sirah, is Sirah in the Quran. It's the the Best way to study seerah is from the Qur'an, because Qur'an is also, Allah mentions many incidents of the life of the Prophet as within the Qur'an's context. And so if you make the Qur'an your lens, all the other sciences will become lit up for you. But if Qur'an becomes just another subject and you, you know, focus on hadith and fiqh, that's where the hearts get corrupted. And no wonder in the Muslim Ummah today have so many divisions And so many sects And so many different schools of thoughts And this Shaykh says that this Shaykh is wrong And this Shaykh says that this Shaykh is kafir And this Shaykh is a, you know, bid'ah and innovation And you have all these different groups And different, like, hatred You see this or no? Why has that happened? Because Quran hasn't been made a foundation to purify us We've forgotten the, the prior priority of being purified and reminded And so, you know, another, like, Beautiful advice that one of my teachers gave me is that You know, just like how Quran should be your lens for life You see life through the Quran You won't go astray Because that gives you light to see Basira, like we talked about Similarly, Fatiha is the lens of the Quran also And no wonder when we pray, what do we recite first? Fatiha and then what? Any other ayat Why do we have to recite Fatiha first? Have you ever thought about it? It's because Wallahu alam, Fatiha is that primary lens with which every, Anything else you read will make sense to you and, it, and you understand it in the proper context So if you read <laughs> And then you finish that And then you re- recite some ayat from Surah Tawbah About killing the disbelievers What has happened now? What has Fatiha done? It has made Rahmah And you know, seeking Allah's forgiveness and love, and the concept of gratitude, a higher priority than these ayat, right? And then this, so you'll understand these ayat with the lens of Fatiha basically. And so, you know, one of my teachers actually, he, he told me that, you know, even when you're reading the mushaf and you're uh, going from one surah to another, right? What he would do is, after he finishes the surah, he would recite Fatiha So he finished Baqarah, recite Fatiha yeah. Read Al-Imran, Fatiha and just, just keep going on. Just so constantly refreshing, it's like that reset button. To make sure that your frame of mind is in Fatiha mode. right? Then you will not go astray with this guidance. SubhanAllah, that's just interesting inside of how like Quran should be, yeah. You I ask a question? No, please go ahead. You keep mentioning killing the Kafas? Mm-hmm. Do you mean the disbelievers who, who we have tried to guide? Yet, you refuse the in the Quran just any uh, great question can we talk after class yeah okay because I just I just want to uh, go with the flow but great question inshallah after class we'll talk about it um, so may this human being be destroyed or may or he's already destroyed now Allah's putting this insan in his place What have we created What did we create him from This insan Who is being arrogant Who thinks that he has istighna Who thinks that he doesn't need Quran And, and purification and reminders What did we create him from من أي شيء Khalaq. من نطفة فقدر We created him From this filthy drop of sperm nutfa. This is what he was created from. This is his origins, and then he, you know, basically gave him Qadr from destiny. And now, night of Qadr is around the corner. Also, you know, these days, the the, the night of qadar, Laylatul Qadr. He has, he has given us the options to choose our destinies, basically. Allah has shown us both paths. And In Surah Insan, Allah says, you know. We have guided him to the Sabeel. Either he's going to be grateful or he's going to be ungrateful. Right? So that's the Sabeel. He's given us both options. Many people have a misunderstanding about Qadr. You know, they're confused about this concept. How can Allah judge me on the day of judgment if Qadr is already written? So, you know, Qadr. The way to understand this is that there's a qadr for khair and a qadr for shah. There's a qadr for you know winning in this world and in the next, there's a qadr for not winning in this world and losing in this world and in the next. There's a qadr for health, and a qadr for sickness. There's a qadr for poverty, a qadr for wealth. We choose which qadr we want. If you eat pizza and samosas and jalebis and pokores and you know you know burgers and fries every day. What's your qadr going to be? Sickness, disease, blood pressure, and you know, diabetes. Because Allah has defined those Inna Allah says, We have created everything with its qadr. So sickness has its qadr. If you follow that qadr, you will get the sickness. But if you're, you know, exercising well, you're eating pure food, you're obeying Allah's command, you know, obeying Allah's command of eating pure food, in the Quran, Allah says, when, when is the last time you heard a khutbah about the command of Allah to us believers to eat pure and good food and to not be excessive in it? What's going to happen if you do in it? If you do excessive eating or if you eat corruptly? Allah says, My anger will befall on you. Ayah you know? in the Quran Direct command to us on how to eat and So if you, if you follow Allah's guidance for eating You will get the qadr of health Right And you know subhanAllah Even when it comes to sickness فَإِذَا مَرِضْتُ فَهُوَ يَشْفِينَ When I get sick He heals me So who has Allah put the, the Getting sick responsibility on us or him Does Allah make us sick? No I made myself sick when I make the wrong decisions and I make the wrong choices, I get sick, He's the one who heals me. So Allah gave us the aqdaara, He showed us the sabeel. But then what's interesting is Allah's years is also talking about like the nutfah, the sperm, think about the scene of the sperm and the, this whole process of the reproduction, right? Some said this is literally the baby coming out of the mother's uterus. That's Sadeel. He made it easy for him to come out from the Sadeel. But then, now it's just like the scene is that you've just come out in this world, right? This is a new life for you. What does Allah say next? There's like this fast forward to your death. You were just born, you just came out of your mother's womb, and you've died already. That's how short life is. Then Allah gave him death, and Allah is the one who placed him in the Qabr. Highlighting the short life here And also highlighting the powerlessness of the human being right? Allah is putting us in our place You are the sperm, this is drop of sperm I made you come out and I made you die I made you go into your khabar You have this You think that you don't need me You have this arrogance, you have this attitude of ego Who do you think you are? And subhanAllah, you know, like when the nutfa turns into this small baby that comes out of the mother's womb, right? It's as if the baby or you as a human human being came out of a belly. And then when you're buried, you're going into another belly. The belly of the earth, literally. And that's why in some traditions they call earth like mother earth. It's as if that, you know, that... The human being is going back into the belly and then you come out of the belly again. From that small nutfa again. Because as you know in the tradition, that uh, everything of our body will be decayed except for the last part, the most last part of the spinal cord. And from that, that seed, we will be we will be coming back to life on the day of judgment in resurrection. We'll be coming back to life. And so you know Allah's drawing this contrast between you know, the human being's creation and the day of judgment. And then Allah says, This is from uh, this disbursement. Allah wants, He will make sure that this, this person comes out on the day of judgment In resurrection and shara. He will be spread out into different crowds. Kalla, no, 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 no. He didn't do what we expected him to do. What we commanded him to do, he didn't do it. He didn't fulfill his obligations, this, this insan. So again, I keep mentioning this insan in the Quran is always spoken about in a negative way. So we should aim to be like, not insan. You know? Aim to be higher, insan is like the lowest level of a human being. We're very close to being an animal. Aim to be like beni adam, Right? And there's different theories out there about like, you know, when Allah talks about Bani adam, He talks about... This idea of being of a higher, higher status of human being, not the lowest level of insan who is the forgetful insan. Okay? So what's being highlighted in this passage? Powerlessness of the human being and the fact that we need to be humble. We need to have this humility that we have no control whatsoever of our birth and our death. Okay? So it's again pointing back to that istirna, right? That feelingness of not needing anything. So Allah says, interestingly, He shifts the topic to food now. Then let the human being, let the same insan again. Let this insan look at his food. He's showing you like a a trailer of how this food came on your plate. Try to remember when the skies basically showered down rain, and it's. Came down on earth <inaudible> This water came down In, in multi, Like big uh, Volumes Of, of rain <inaudible> like, Literally like waterfalls coming down <inaudible> After the rain comes down What happens to the earth? Rips open And then what comes out of it? <inaudible> the seed is uh, Planted in this uh, this earth And it starts coming out starts sprouting out And then what comes out of it next Wainaban, Grapes and vegetation وَزَيْتُونًا وَنَخْلًا And olives and, and palm trees وَحَدَائِقَ And gardens that are filled with greenery وَفَاكِهَةً وَأَبَّ and, and fruits And seeds all temporary enjoyment for you and your cattle, your animals. So this is a really like a beautiful section here, which I want to spend some time on. Okay. Number one. Think about this idea of how Allah Subhanahu wa Taala started off with rain coming down, okay, and, and seed, a seed coming out, right? Hab, one hab came out, and then what does Allah do? Pairs come follow, right? Jaituna wa Nakhla wa Abba These are pairs coming out From one Anan What was the previous section about? One, one sperm drop Bringing life, right? In the form of male and female And children And then there's this life And there's, there's the next life The pair of this life and the next life Same thing being highlighted But another subtlety here is that anab and ab. Inab is representative of all exotic kind of fruits Inab is a luxury fruit back in the Arab days, it was a very very luxurious fruit, uh, f- uh, fruit. And Qadb is vegetation which is necessity Zaytun, same thing It's something that is uh, highly like, regarded as something of high value When you buy olive oil, it's not cheap That's why most people cook with what kind of oil? Corn oil and sunflower oil, right? Which is very unhealthy. Olive oil is much, much more healthy, but it's more expensive. Whereas date palm or palm trees was very normal. So what's, what's being highlighted here is two types of risk that Allah gives us. Part of the risk that Allah gives us is necessity for our body, for our nutrition, like benefit. Something that gives us benefit, necessity. And the other part of it is beauty and enjoyment. Okay, Allah didn't need to give us anab or grapes Right or no? And anab or fruits in general wa abba. Fruits Literally فَاكَهَةً means Fruits that make you smile فَاكَهَةً means to smile Be happy And so faqiha And anab And zaytun, These are all luxurious you know, Rizq that Allah gave us Why? Did He have to give us those? Did, uh, did fruits have to taste that amazing? If you think about it no, right? I mean, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, out of His love, care and mercy for us gave us this, this amazing food that not only does it benefit us, but it also tastes really good. Not only does it benefit us, but it looks good. I mean, look at the color, different colors of fruits also and vegetation. Look at olive oil and how pure it is and how beautiful it looks. Right? So Allah's here is yani, highlighting the fact that we need to be grateful not just for the benefit we get from this, this food, this plate, But just ponder upon the the way Allah gives it to you, the presentation. Think of fruits like like a banana, you open up a banana, it's like a gift wrapping, right? Divine gift gift wrapping. This banana that gives you so much nutrients and so much benefit, Allah has also wrapped it for you. And that's a sign of Allah's love because it's human nature to gift wrap things when we want to present it to those who we love. And the more you love someone, the more you take care of the gift wrapping You're going to be careful about how it's wrapped You're going to put some scents on it Right? And you're going to present it in a nice way So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know Dates come out of the palm trees Bananas come out of the sprouts of the banana trees And every, every fruit out there, every vegetable comes out And presents itself to us as a gift, in the form of a gift And you know, fruit peels also smell pretty good and you know, unlike gift wrapping, which you, when, you, when you unwrap a gift, the paper is basically waste, right? That you have to recycle. Whereas if a banana peel or a mango peel, you eat the banana, you throw the, ma- the peel in the ground, does it benefit earth or not? So even the gift wrapper itself benefits the earth. It's not harmful for the earth. So again, it's, it's making us realize how appreciative we should be of Allah's sustenance. And, you know, and the fact that Allah made the fruits or food in general taste good, Number one, it's beneficial for you. It tastes good. It looks good. It smells good, and it's packaged in an amazing way, also. All of this, why? To make us be grateful for that So that again, this journey of the that seed, that hub results in what hada <laughs> ikhulba, this gardens and gardens of beautiful, uh greenery that's there for us to enjoy. And so, mataaan lakum <laughs> wa li This is all. Temporary enjoyment for you and your anam. What's the link here between this and what we've talked about earlier? Earlier, the topic was about revelation, wasn't it? Yes. So, so just like food for our body has benefit and beauty in it, okay. Pay attention to this. It's really, really interesting uh, insight here. Just like food, a lot here in this section highlighted that it has benefit and it's it looks good, it smells good, it's beautifully packaged similarly there's, so there's beauty there's necessity and beauty right benefit and beauty both to make us grateful similarly the Quran has been presented to us in the form of food for our boys and it has benefit and it has beauty and the beauty comes in the form of you know the, the way Allah speaks in the Quran the way the arguments are structured in the quran the language that allah uses the way that it rhymes like look at the rhyming here inna sa'anna sababnal ma'a sabba thumma shaqaqna al-ardha <laughs> shaqaa fa'amadtna fiha habba wa 'inba wa qatba wa zaytuna wa nakhla wa hada'iq gulba wa fakihatan right so this rhyming it makes it so beautiful also and you know this whole art of tajweed many of you might not know this but tajweed what's the the whole purpose of tajweed it's not to win uh, tajweed competitions and you know have ego issues about how good your tajweed is tajweed is actually there as an art to help you slow down Right? When tajweed is all about pronouncing the Quran the proper way. And how do you pronounce the Quran properly way when you slow down? So, what's the purpose of slowing down? It says so that you can think about what you're reading. So tajweed is, is actually its purpose is to make us people of reflection to us, for us to reflect on what we read, to slow down. And the faster you read, the less your tajweed is perfected, right or no? But then there's this other amazing dimension which I recently came across. Is this concept of tertil? وَرَدْتِ لِلْقُرْآنَ One of the meaning of ترتيل is uh, to beautiful, like this, the, the melody of the Qur'an. Allah wants us, and it's a command to the Prophet when you recite the Qur'an, recite it with be- a beautiful melody. So there's this divine music and melody to the Qur'an. And the Prophet ﷺ said in a very very interesting hadith, he says مَنْ Whoever doesn't recite the Quran with a beautiful melodious tone is not from us. Can you imagine this? If you recite the Quran with like a very bad voice and you're like no melody in it, just a boring like monotonous way. The Prophet said you're not from us. We are people who are of 13. We're supposed to make Qur'an beautiful when it's, like, when it's read to us. So all, we only need to do like, some uh, practicing, inshallah, of beautifying our sounds. But uh, yani, the idea here is that, you know, when, when taj- like, thinking of tajweed, what did we just say? Tajweed is supposed to slow you down so that it's food for what? Mm-hmm. For your mind, right? What is music, actually? Why did Allah say to tarteel? Because music and melody unlocks the hearts and the emotions. And so through tertil and tajweed subhanallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has like given us a means through the Quran to unlock the mind and the hearts, So that when the, the meanings go through, they, they purify the mind and the heart. So, you know, m- music and, and this concept of melody in and of itself is beautiful, right? What makes so many ulama today say that music is haram and all that is just because of the the way it's been used, it's become filthy and shameful and, and uh, I mean shameless, right? I, like There's no purity left in it. But music and, and melody in and of itself is beautiful. It's, it's something that's likened to the hearts. It unlocks the hearts. And so it depends how you use it. If you use it, to beautify your Quran and to get spiritual elevation and purification and reminders Then it's beautiful And I'm sure all of you, when you go to recite, like go to Taraweeh or qiyam you choose A good Qara, right? Someone who's, who recites the Quran in a beautiful way Because it helps you, right? It, And and that's when the tears come down Right or no? Why, why are the tears coming down? Because the hearts are being unlocked They're being purified, right? And so... Uh, this is like you see the, the the similarity now between how fruits have benefit and beauty, and the Quran has benefit and beauty also, right? There's this uh, constant theme that's being repeated. So next, فَإِذَا جَاءَتْ الصحة. Again, very strange. Have you, have you guys noticed how the topics are changing very strangely, right? Looks like spaghetti, right? Why is Allah like, jumping from different topics to another? Insha'Allah it all makes sense at the end. saqa And when the Sakhah comes, last week it was طَامَّةُ kubra The Sakhah, very loud, scary sound that shuts everybody up. يَوْمَ يفر الْمَرْءُ مِنْ On that day, describing the Day of Judgment, Al-Ma'a is uh, basically not just a man, but someone or a human being who has dignity and he takes, he's responsible. He's taking care of. Like he's someone responsible. That's what al Marr means. What is this marr doing on that day? He's running away from his akhi. Akhi could refer to, again, like Allah's talking in the masculine, but this applies to feminine also, right? You're, you're running away from your sibling. It also means, akh also means you're running away from your friend also in the Quran refers to your friend, someone like your buddy. So who are you running away from first? Your sibling or your friend? And then Allah says, وَأُمِّهِ وَأَبِيهِ And you're running away from your mother and your father. And then wa and, and you're running away from your beloved spouse and your children. And Allah interestingly, He didn't say your wife. There's a difference between imraa, زوجة and sahiba. What's the difference? Sahiba is your very close. Sahiba means like you're very close. You're like very attached to one another, one another as, as a husband and a wife. It's the highest level of a relationship between a, a husband and a wife. You're not just married, you're not just husband and wife, but you're, you're best friends. You love each other's company. That's why Ashabul Kahf, our buddies, who we were always together, right? And Allah says, لِكُلِّ مِّنْهُمْ يَوْمَ شَأْنُ يُغْنِي On that day, every single one of these people will have a شأن that will give them this شأن يُغْنِي This big responsibility, this big task at hand يُغْنِي Every single one of this, these people will be concerned about themselves They will be busy, they will be occupied and so, some reflection on why Abbas started off with the sibling slash friend, then moved on to parents, then moved on to the wife and kids. Number one, it goes from less attached to most attached. In terms of worldly sense, these are all by the way circles of our life, right? You have the circle of your, your siblings, you have the circle of your friend, you have the circle of your parents, and you have the circle of your wife and kids, or spouse and kids, right or no? And Basically, the least attached you are to is who? Especially after you get married. Your, your brothers and sisters and your friends, right? Friends in general. That's why you enjoy hanging out with them because there's no attachment. There's no sense of responsibility. It's relaxed. But when it comes to parents, children, wives, there's responsibility. So you, you have to make it a point to visit them and to, you know, fulfill their obligations and... It becomes kind of like a, a stressful task also to balance between the different circles, right? You spend too much time with your wife and kids, what will the mom think? That you're, uh, what will the dad think? Ah, uh, he forgot us now, after all these years. You spend too much time with the parents, the wife and kids will say, oh, you never spent time with us. Your mommy's uh, baby still. Right? You spend too much time with friends, the wife will complain. You never spend time with the kids. You know? You spend too much time with uh, family, like wife and kids, friends complain, you never come out with us, man, come on, let's go, let's play, let's do something, hang out with us, have a social life, have a life. So there's this constant struggle of of, uh, meeting the needs of all these different circles, but the least you are attached to, especially after marriage is like, you know, your siblings and your friends. And then what happens after marriage also? your wife and your kids become the number one priority, right? Parents you know, naturally become like second level, although that shouldn't be the case, but that's the way it happens. Allah knows us inside out, right? For those of you who are married, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Parents become of a second level of attachment because your primary responsibility is your children and your kids. And by the way, out of all of these, siblings, friends, mother, father, wife and kids who are you most attached to kids kids right in reality you're most attached to kids and that's the last on the list so allah started off with the least like friends and finished off with the most attached and he's saying all these attachments will be gone but allah will make it you know in a gradual way so you don't feel too you know He's not taking away your kids from like the start. You're not running away from the kids. And another interesting thing here is, why are you running away from them? I thought like, you know, when you're in danger, like when there's a fire in this house, we're all gonna get together. Especially if my kids are there, I'm gonna take them with me first, right? Naturally, when when you're in danger and there's this uh, problem happening, you you make sure your family are with you in that danger. But why are we running away? So one view here is that. You're running away because you, you violated their rights so much Now you don't want them anywhere near you Because they're running after you Trying to get some of your rewards Your mother's running after you To get some rewards from you And you're running away from her Because you want to keep your rewards yourself SubhanAllah right? very, like, very difficult for us to, to comprehend The fact that your wife is running after you to take from your good deeds because she needs them your children are run- you're running away from your children because they're running after you take- to take some of your good deeds so this is again highlighting this concept of حقوق العباد, right? the rights of our fellow human beings on the one hand you have ذنوب which is sins that we commit between us and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. not praying, drinking alcohol, zina, all these things But when you do wrong to others, and you don't make up for this, that is the state of the one who is bankrupt, in the hadith of the bankrupt. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about. The hadith of the one who is bankrupt is the one who on the Day of Judgment, the Prophet asked the Sahaba, who is the bankrupt? They said the one who has money and a business and it collapses. The Prophet said, no, the the bankrupt is the one who has a lot of namaz and roze, he has a lot of salah and fasting, and he's gone to Hajj and he does, does all these good deeds. But, he curses so-and-so, he does wrong to so-and-so, he does injustice to so-and-so, he cheats to so-and-so. All these sayyats, right, these dhulm to others, he's not taking care of his hukuk of al-ibad. So what happens to his mountain of good deeds? These people who are wronged will take from his good deeds. So the mountain will keep getting less and less and less and less and less until there's still more. The people he did dhulm to are still asking for more, but there's no more good deeds. So what do they, what do they start doing? They start giving their sayyats, there are bad deeds to him, and so he's going in the negative now. Until, and the Prophet said, until he's thrown in the hellfire. Very scary hadith, right? But it puts things into perspective that is a big deal. The way you treat your siblings is a big deal. The way you treat your friends, the way you treat your parents, your mother, your father, your you know wife, and your spouse, and your kids, it's a big deal. And so, you know, if you don't want to be running away from them, you take care of the rights today so that you know you're not running away from them on that day. But who will be running away from them? It's the people who have done them to them. Okay. So liku limbra in yun minhom yom'ed sha'nun And this is like a beautiful uh, close to this section is that remember earlier the the one who didn't seem to need revelation. He didn't need to be purified. He didn't need to be reminded. What did Allah call him? Amma al istighna The one who doesn't need anything. The one who's not occupied with anything. Right? He's free of need. He doesn't, he's not busy with anything. He's relaxed. What is Allah doing here now in this section? He's saying every single one of them is going to be busy with something. There's no istighna on this day. You see the same word. يُغْنِيه there it was, amma and استغنى. Here Allah is saying every single one of them will be in need of something. They will be occupied on this day. They will be busy. Their money won't benefit them, their power won't benefit them, their status in society won't benefit them. They will be busy on that day. So you see how the contrast is done between istighna feeling of no need, whereas here you're in full need now. All right? You're in full need of ajr of and you're occupied all of a sudden. So Allah ends by saying, He describes two, face, two types of faces now on the Day of Judgment, and this is after the terror and everything, right? You're now because there yafirul mar literally means you're running away in terror. Here now it's like that graduation ceremony where uh, you're either passing or you're failing basically. So Allah says, Wujuhun yawma idh musfirah. There will be some faces who will be lit up with the lights, with the noor. مُسْتَبْشِرَة They'll be laughing and they'll be like, مُسْتَبْشِرَة comes from good news. They'll be given the good news. They'll be congratulated for all the great work they did. And in the context of what we talked about, they'll be congratulated for valuing the Qur'an, for making the Qur'an a big deal in their life, for seeking guidance from the Qur'an, for constantly purifying themselves through Qur'an. Seeking remembrance from the Qur'an Throughout the journey of this life Which is so short They'll be laughing And Allah says in another place He will make us laugh on that day We'll be smiling And another view here is that Why are you smiling? Why are you lit up? Why are you laughing? It's because you are actually you know, uh, Facing Allah You are seeing Allah face to face and so because Allah is also the source of light, Allah نُورُ wal-Ard, The reflection of Allah's nur is on your faces, and that's why your faces are lit. And that's, according to a lot of people, uh, you know, that is the highest level of um, satisfaction in Jannah. Right? If you like, like strawberry ice cream, and you like Nutella chocolate, that's, those are all like temptations that you want in Jannah, right? But the highest temptation or the thing that will give you the most pleasure in Jannah will be what? The face of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Seeing the face of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So may Allah make us of those whose face are lit uh, with happiness and joy and of good news on this on, on that day, inshallah. And then there's on the other contrast, Wujun ala ghabara There will be other faces, unfortunately, who will have a lot of dust. Ghabar means dust. We know dust very well in Bahrain, right? Yes? we see it coming every now and then so khabar dust covered with like this black (coughs) layers and layers of thick smog and and smoke and their faces are black why why are they black? they're already filled with grief they already know they're guilty of what they did who are these people? Who are these people who did istighna? Who are these people Allah is talking about here? humul kafara Two crimes they've committed. Kafara, okay. again, being ungrateful. Okay. Disbelief and ungrateful. Primarily towards the Qur'an, in the content of this, this Surah. And Fajra is a consequence of being a kafir of the Qur'an. When you become ungrateful of the Qur'an, then will you get purified? Yes or no? You won't get purified. If you don't seek reminders from the Quran, will you get benefits from its reminders? No. So what will the result be? What will the consequence be of being ungrateful, being of the Kafarah? You will become of the fajra. Those who are the fajra those who explode in their sins. Fujur, from Fajr, literally when the daylight explodes in the be- like, you know, beginning of daylight, daybreak. It's called daybreak, literally, like an explosion you explode into your sins without thinking. You have no khashiyah. You have no brake system. Your brake has failed. You don't know how to say no. You don't know. You don't know how to stop and think. You're just constantly just in in fujur. Why? Because you don't have any goodness left in you. Because your heart is not purified. Your mind is not purified. Ula kafaratul fajran. So this is the. Uh, Conclusion Conclusion of the surah, which is my favorite part. So if you've been sleeping now, it's time to wake up Inshallah. okay? Favorite part inshaAllah. So this surah is broken down into six sections The first one being, of course, the story of Abasa wa taawalla, like the, the, the blind man and the istighna. So there's like two different attitudes to Quran and the Prophet right? One attitude is of are yes, right? You're seeking, you're putting the effort to go and learn. And the other attitude was what? Istighna, relaxed, you don't need it. Self-sufficiency. And then of course Allah Subh'ata tells us in section 2 what? The noble status of the Qur'an, what should your attitude be like? What the correct attitude should be like? Which is in line with the blind man, correct or no? So this, and then section 5 and 6 are also in line with this. In section 1, we saw the blind man running towards the truth, right? Running to get purification. What's happening in section 5? You're running, but this time you're running away from those people, right? You're running away from your eventual destiny. You're running away from the reality, from the truth. And then, just like there were two groups or two different attitudes, at the beginning there's two different consequences. People who will have the attitude of the blind man, will, their faces will be lit. And people who have the attitude of istighna, of self-sufficiency, I don't need to learn, I don't need to be purified, I don't need remembrance, I don't need Quran, I don't need Islam. Those are the kafir al fajra and they, those will be the ones who will be filled with darkness on that day. So, you see the connection between the two? Pretty profound, yeah? So, one is running to the truth, one is running away. And, you know, istighna, we said, istaghna here the one who doesn't was not preoccupied with anything doesn't need anything what happened to him here now he's, now he's occupied now he he needs Allah's mercy before he didn't have any needs now he's in super need he, in fact he's in so much need he's running after his siblings and his spouse and his friends and his all his family why because he's in need now he has become fakir now. He was he thought he was Ghani but now the reality uh, basically kicks in on the day of judgment. And what's also interesting is this concept of the Safara. Remember the angels? They were they were people uh, or angels of uh, purity, right? They were they were writing down the scriptures, the marfu'a mutahara. And Allah says here literally the same word: wujuhun yu'maydin musfira. Safara musfira. The same word repeated here because. Because you are people of revelation, your your face on that day will be filled with this light also, this noor. Because you, it's from the same source of the angels who are also filled with noor. Those angels are also uh, made from noor. And also here, استغنى, There's this mystery, right? Who is this man who is self-sufficient? Who is Allah talking about? Allah answers and solves that mystery at the end. Who are these people? It's like that. Final sentence to tell you Who was Allah talking about this whole time Because Al-A'ma was defined, right? Another interesting thing here is Al-A'ma, Allah says The blind man, he specified him Whereas, man istaghna can be anybody He didn't say, amma istaghna Right? That would mean the one who specifically did istaghna Allah says, man istaghna, anybody So this actually raises our It should raise our alertness that maybe it could be me I'm not I'm not free from you know this crime of being a مستغني. I need to watch out also when it came to the, the blind man he was honored with al ta'rif al-a'ma the one who was blind very very interesting and so then what's really interesting about journey number three and four section number three was the journey of the human being from a drop of sperm to death to resurrection and sha'a Right? So three stages Drop of sperm death and resurrection Life was not even mentioned there, right? Very fast Section 4 was about the journey of food How life or how this apple that's sitting on your plate actually started with a, one drop of seed that was planted because of Allah's reign and the earth, Allah caused it to crack open so that you could start enjoying the benefit of this, this fruit. The journey of food. And you know, this also, yani, part of the Qur'an is it, it wants us to be people who are present when it comes to eating our food. You know how like, there's an, you have an entire basket of fruits, you just pick up an apple and you're just eating the fruit. With mindlessly. Right? Just like animals do. But what does Allah wants us to do? He, Allah told us, al ila It's a call to the human being to do what? To look at this fruit. What does it mean? You just keep looking at it? Well, uh, what is Allah saying between the lines? Think about where this apple came from. Reflect on where this apple came from. Think about the farmer who picked up this apple. In fact before that think about the farmer who planted the seed and took care of the soil and make sure every day he went to his field to make sure that this seed is getting enough oxygen enough soil and enough uh, sunshine enough water and then he waited patiently for a year or two before this tree would grow and think about how that farmer with his own hands plucked that apple among thousands of other apples and how he cleaned them and then how he Packaged them and he shipped them maybe from I don't know where where do our apples come from ladies which country I don't I don't shop our groceries huh? New Zealand so this farmer New Zealand right he picked up the apple he put it in some basket some container it got shipped all the way from New Zealand all the way to Bahrain and then you know some distributor picked it up from the ports he un-offloaded the items and then sent some apples to Jian, some to Lulu, some to Carrefour. You went to Jian, you saw the apple. And there's hundreds of apples, right? When you go to the supermarket. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wrote your name on that one apple. And that one apple ended up in the fridge, on the tray, on your plate. That's the entire journey of that apple, which Allah is making a parallel between the journey of the food and the journey of the human being to make us what? What's the whole point of all of this? To make us grateful. To make us people who are grateful even for that one bite of the apple. And subhanAllah, you know, um, my theory is that if we ate food with that mindset of being present, so present with our food, you would this food would maximize its benefit, like its benefit would be much, much, much more for your body in terms of like the benefit itself and it would cleanse Your body from all sorts of like diseases. If we only ate with that, and I'm not saying be mindful of a like a Nutella chocolate, you know where the chocolate came from, where the artificial sugar came from. No, please, (laughs) pure food, right? Pure food, and Allah wants you to uh, reflect on this. So see how both started with a drop, ended with this life coming out, right? Just like. The, the sperm impregnated the, the female and the baby came out and then the, the, the human being was basically put in the earth the earth was impregnated and what's going to come out? Life again on the day of judgment similarly the fruits, right? Same same story being repeated that seed is impregnating the earth and then life comes out in the form of fruits and vegetation for us so Another, just like two more things, and I'm done, inshallah. So, mataa lakum wa li an'amikum, Allah says. This is mataa, this is temporary enjoyment for you and your animals. An'am are soft creatures who don't get uh, you know, disturbed by anything, they don't get afraid of anything. If you take a cow and you put it on the highway, what's it gonna do? It's just gonna, you know, chill there. The cars are going bad passed and nothing's going to happen. But when a loud sound comes, what happens to the car? It freaks out, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala right after saying lakum an'amikum, these an'am are in their ghafla. An'am is like a symbol of people who are heedless in this world. Allah's highlighting here that some people who have this istighna they're just like these an'am. They're just chewing on their grass thinking that they don't need anything. Warnings are coming by, That's like those cars, right? Reminders are coming by, and they're just chewing on the grass until the sound comes. saqha Now, what's going to happen now? Just like these people are running away, just like animals run away when the sound comes. Just like the cow will start running away, these human beings will start running away. And Allah here is like basically highlighting that some human beings in this world who are doing istighna, who have this feelingness of not needing anything they're actually acting like animals they're heedless and forgetful just like animals and if they don't wake up they're gonna wake up on that day when it's gonna be too late do you see how that parallel is there? and then you know my favorite part of this is this idea of uh, food Allah says so you know Both human beings and animals need food Right? Animals need Food in terms of like Stuff to eat, stuff to drink And of course your desires Right? In terms of like reproduction and all of them Human beings have that need also Just like animals But what makes us different than animals? The fact that we have another We have another source of need of food Which is the spiritual food Which is revelation Which is section number two. It's as if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through that section highlighted that yes look at your food but don't forget the the real food. The food for your soul that is what's going to make you different than animals on that day. So there's going to be two types of treatments on that day. Two types of faces right? Treatments of human beings who acted like animals in this world where they neglected revelation, they'll be treated like animals, they'll be running away, they'll be, their faces will be darkened. And then you have people who realized the importance of revelation, they benefited from that revelation, they purified themselves, and they will be people who will be, you know, their faces will be lit on that day. So the importance of revelation being food for the soul in comparison to food for the anam. So, really, really amazing insights from the surah. Uh, I don't want to keep you longer, but just showing you the symmetry of this, uh, these different sections and how everything wraps up together. Any questions before we end? I think the starts at 11:30, right? So it's perfect timing. We have 15 minutes. Make your so rohu fresh and uh, catch up. So uh, may Allah accept all of your efforts to come here, inshallah, regularly. For those of you who came. And uh, may Allah forgive us for all the shortcomings and mistakes we've done Because at the end of the day we're reflecting and you know many things we said could be right, could be wrong Whatever is right is from the tawfiq of Allah, whatever is wrong is purely from our flaws and, our, and the weakness of uh, our understanding So may Allah forgive us khair, don't forget us in your prayers and your du'as uh, Us and everybody here, you know, make du'a for everybody here, our families, our children and all the Muslims and humanity at large. Jazak an khair. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.